I'm Dr. Mandy Beats, and you're listening to the Behind the Brace podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing conversations and resources to help families and providers navigate the world of scoliosis. This is your place to find hope for a better solution so that you can live your best life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. This week is specifically for chiropractors. Um, It's Scoliosis Awareness Month, um, and a lot of the things that I've been talking about are very specific to scoliosis, bracing, all of the things for families. And this one, I really wanted to tailor specific to my chiropractic colleagues, um, people that I know. I get a number of messages from Facebook and text and just like, hey, I've got this patient. What do we do with this? Um, Or I see posts in Facebook groups of like, hey, I've got this patient. What do I do with this? You know, we're adjusting them. What else can we do? Um, They're not getting the answers that they need or want from their other providers. Like, where can I send them? How do I do this? All of those things. Um, So this is specifically for you. And I know that at least when I started in practice, we had the training in school. And at least for me, when I got into practice and people started showing up, oftentimes it was like, well, okay, we're adjusting them and they might be doing PT and we're managing, you know, they're not in pain. We're doing all of this. They're also seeing an orthopedic doctor and they're making these recommendations. Um, But I never really felt like I had a good handle on it. I kind of felt a little helpless in the sense of like the tools that I had didn't actually address those curves that were in that moderate to severe range. And so families would come in and ask me or patients would come in and ask me what to do. And I was just like, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't know. What else do we do? We're doing all the things, right? We're adjusting you. You're doing PT. Um, you know, they may, they most, most of them had a brace from their orthopedic doctor And we were doing what I thought then was all of the things. Um, And I didn't really even know in the scoliosis world where those thresholds were or um, what the research showed as far as progression. And, um, you know, we talked about it in school and we managed it, but it was a very like hands off approach of they came into our office and we adjusted them. And then they did their own thing. And, you know, so our job was really, you know, if nobody had caught it yet to catch it and if we caught it to refer them out and then just to support whatever that other provider recommended and just to kind of like be on the outside of the loop. Um, The problem is, is that as most of you have probably recognized, is that oftentimes when families are in that situation, they're coming back and they're frustrated. Um, They don't know what else to do. They're feeling like maybe they're not being heard or their concerns aren't being addressed or, you know, they're being told, well, there's nothing you can do. Wear the brace, come back in a year. Wear the brace, come back in six months. Um, And oftentimes it might continue to get worse and then they're frustrated with that or they can't get back into their brace provider. Um, there's just a lot of, of things. And I, I find oftentimes, at least back before I was doing this specific work, is 
moms and dads knew. Moms would come in and they just intuitively knew. They were like, this just doesn't feel right. I don't think this is what we're supposed to be doing, but I don't know what else to do. And um, our provider is telling us to do this and we're doing it and I don't feel like it's working and we keep going back and it just keeps getting worse. Um, And I really didn't have any tools to help them in a different way. I didn't know what to say to them or who to send them to. Um, And believe it or not, that was before Facebook was a really big thing. So (laughs) there wasn't really a Facebook group to go pop on and post up a case to say, hey, what do you guys think about this? Um, So my goal here today is, is to just give you some guidelines and some thresholds so that you can maybe be a little bit more comfortable if this isn't something that you work with a lot, um, that when somebody walks in your door, you can confidently look at that. And if you don't have the ability to do an x-ray at your office, that either you can send them for an x-ray or you can have their primary provider do an x-ray. And based off of that, you can then identify where you might need to send them or how else you might need to help them so that these families don't slip through the cracks because I've had a lot of families come back around my way that they've even seen chiropractors that I I know, that I know that their offices, I know that they're competent, I know that they're very well-intentioned, I know they're good at what they do, and somehow this family has slipped through the cracks or an x-ray wasn't done, and now all of a sudden they have this curve that has progressed 30 degrees or 40 degrees sometimes in a short period of time, in three, six, nine months. And so now instead of a kid with a 30-degree curve that we can manage, we've got a kid with a 60-degree curve and they still have two years of growth left. And we're really struggling to try to get ahead of it enough to stop the progression. Um, And so that's where I really, really want to give you the tools and the knowledge to be able to at least say, okay, this is a situation that we don't want to mess around with this. We need to do something quickly. Um, Because if you don't know that, by the time you do know that, it's often times too late, um, which is really unfortunate. Um, so here's kind of the the baseline, and this is what I want you to just look at, okay? So between the ages of 10 and 14 is when the most progression happens because that's when puberty happens. So all of the time between the ages of 10 and 14, kids should be being checked for scoliosis. And I know that they taught us all how to do Uh, the test in school where patients, you know, bend over and you check their spine and you see if there's elevation of their scapula, if there's a curve in their spine, if there's, you know, different things that are showing up. Um, Hopefully everybody's doing that. What I have found is that ways that this has gotten missed is if patients come in And you see them regularly, maybe you've seen them for five years and they come in every so often, like once a month or once every three weeks or every two weeks or whatever it might be. Um, And now you start seeing this child and they're seven years old and you've done an exam and you do your scans and you do your rechecks. But if all of a sudden now, four years down the road, they're 10 or 11 years old and you pop into the room and they're already laying on the table um, nothing is new. And so you adjust them and you don't notice anything and off their on their way they go, Right. But what I have found is, is that there have been times that if you aren't specifically stopping to do a new assessment in this age range where you specifically look for that, it is easy to miss it because oftentimes when kids stand up, their body compensates really well for it. So you might not see a shoulder shift. You might not notice in the 5, 10, 15 minutes that you're in 
that they're in your office that their shoulders are unlevel because they might not be in their position of rest. Um, if they're lying down on the table, their spine, when there's not gravity on it, uh, can straighten out. So it might not be as obvious when they're lying prone on your table um, as when they might be out and about during their day. And so it's easy sometimes to miss these, especially if you have a curve in the lumbar spine, because if you've got a curve in the lumbar spine, sometimes you might not see the unleveling of the shoulders. Sometimes what you see is a shift of their pelvis or rotation of their pelvis. But if you have that patient lying down prone already when you walk in the room and you're adjusting them, it may not be as obvious to you when they're lying down on the table as if they are standing up or if they sit down on a chair, it might look different than than when they're standing. Um, I'll never forget. There was it was a really humbling experience for me. Um, and I do wonder um, if the people teaching this course even remember that. But it was, I think, way back in, I don't know, it was probably like 2013. Um, and I was at one of my first trainings and they put up pictures up on the um projector or whatever it was on the wall. And uh, they had pictures of patients, fully clothed, standing, um, just posture pictures from front and from back. And then they had sets of x-rays up and they were all labeled. And they said, they told us, we were all sitting in the room. They said, okay, match up the patient with the x-rays. And I remember being like, this is going to be easy. Like, I've got this, right? And you like matched them all up. And um, when they revealed what the matches were, I was a little horrified that I'm just like, I really thought that I was going to be able to tell what was on that x-ray based on what their posture looked like. Um, and whether it was the fact that I was just untrained at that point to know what to look for, um, or that those patients really hid those changes in their spines well through compensation. Whichever one it is, I was wrong on a lot of them, more than I thought I should have been. And that's when I realized that I just didn't have the experience and I didn't have enough knowledge to be able to identify these things the way that I thought that I I probably should be able to. Um, and so that brings me to my next point is that I know that some of us don't utilize x-ray in our offices. And um, if we're not looking, you know, if we're not a corrective doctor, if we're not doing CBP or, um, you know, different things where we have the ability to x-ray, maybe you need to x-ray here and there and you send it to one of your local clinics or one of your x-ray um, facilities that you have. Those are all all the different ways that we practice is how we practice and that's fine. Um, however, I really, really want to talk about the fact that if you don't have the ability to x-ray and maybe you haven't ever sent anybody out for an x-ray, if you are identifying that somebody has something going on in their spine, it is so important to get an x-ray. And the reason I bring that up is because I go back to that room when I first started learning about this and my ability to guess what that x-ray looked like was not good. And so we really need to be able to make sure that we have the correct information and so that we have even a baseline. Because one of the hardest things for me now is... Um, if I have somebody that's, say, 14 or 15, and they come into my office, and they've never had an x-ray, 
And they might say to me, they're like, well, I was seeing somebody and, you know, my chiropractor told me that I had a curve, but not really to worry about it because fill in the blank. There's, I've heard multiple different reasons why not to worry about it. Um, so they've never had an x-ray. And so now I have a 14 year old who we get an x-ray and their curve is say, I don't know, 34 degrees or 35 degrees, which is above the threshold for bracing. And the, the, the thing that the parents ask me is, is they're like, well, do you think that this just happened? And I have to say, I don't know. We don't know because we never had an x-ray done. We don't have a baseline. We don't have a comparison. And there's no way to know whether or not, say, this patient had a 33-degree curve at the age of 10, and over the last four years, the curve has stayed at 33 degrees, or if at 10, they had a zero curve, and at 11, they had a 15-degree curve, and at 12, it, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Because if we don't have a baseline, if we don't have something to compare to clinically now, I, we don't have the ability to get a feel for what's going on, to get an idea of what this curve is doing. Is this a highly progressive curve? Is this a stable curve? How quickly has this progressed? We don't know because we don't have any other resources to look at. Um, so we're essentially starting from square one with a curve that we know is within that that bracing threshold, but we don't have the clinical information to be able to try to identify if this is a highly progressive curve or not. And so that can just give us less information to be able to make better decisions. So the more information we have, the better decisions we can make, the better recommendations we can give because we have that history of what's going on. Um, so if you have a patient that you feel has any amount of curvature in their spine and they're within that age range, I just really encourage you to find a way to get them an x-ray, um, whether that's through you, through their primary care provider, whatever that might be. Um, don't take that lightly because the information can be valuable. Uh, the risk of getting an x-ray is very minimal. The exposure to radiation is very minimal. Um, it's a very easy test to do. Um, and you can still continue to do whatever protocols you do in your office. It's just getting additional information. And once you have that, this is where I, I want to give you the resources, because this is where I feel like we run into problems, or at least I ran into problems in my office, because once I identified that there was this problem, well, now what do I do? Because I don't do what they do with scoliosis, or at least I didn't then. So I didn't have any tools other than adjusting how I had been adjusting. And the research shows that adjustments alone um, are not enough to significantly change a moderate to severe scoliosis. So, you know, we don't want to be responsible for that progression in our office. We need to be able to have the right tools for that. And so luckily, there are other providers within our profession that really specialize in this and have the techniques and abilities to help with that um, in a way that is safe for patients so that we don't miss an opportunity. Um, because the worst thing to do is to take on a case that has the potential to become a surgical case and to try to guess at what you might need to do and not do the appropriate things. And now all of a sudden this family has missed an opportunity to make potential changes to their spine 
And now they're sitting at a place that instead of a 30 degree curve, we now have a 60 degree curve. And that's a whole lot harder to change. And I know some of you listening right now might say, well, we can still change 60 degree curves. Well, yes, potentially we can still change those curves, but I can tell you it's a whole lot harder to change a 60 degree curve than it is to change a 30 degree curve. And if you have that much progression in three, six, even nine months, that's a highly progressive curve. And now we're battling a curve that's a lot harder to manage. Um, so if you are not proficient in in caring for patients with scoliosis that are within a higher range, that's where I really encourage you to reach out. So um, there's some really good resources. There's um, so CBP has CBP doctors that do corrective care. Um, Scoli Brace has a list of providers that uh, provide a Scoli Brace for pa- for patients. Um, so really, if you find somebody that has a curve that's, say, under 20 degrees, um, you can look at that and say, okay, is this something that we feel is you know, appropriately managed by the care that we have in our office. So if it's at 10 degrees or 11 degrees, you know, you can really, you know, this is where the different philosophies come in, right? Um, those aren't the curves that are super concerning, right? Because they're lower level curves. And depending on what's causing those, um, whether you are doing adjustments or different things, you still need to keep your eye on them. So if you do one x-ray, that still means that you should take another x-ray. If you don't send them anywhere else, you still need to take another x-ray in six months, um, definitely within a year to make sure that that curve isn't getting worse. However, if you've got a kiddo who is in that, they're in that 20 degree range, I've had patients that we've been able to successfully brace at 19, 20, 21, 22 degrees that have gotten amazing corrective results with a brace and maintained those corrections out of brace. So in the medical world, they wait until that 30 degrees for bracing. And that's kind of our guideline too. But there are a lot of patients that based on what they have going on, those braces are appropriate and effective even at that 18, 19, 20 degree range. And so it's important that you be kind of be looking into that because you can still, at least in my office, I see a lot of people from hours away, like three, four, five hours away where I might provide their initial assessment, their x-rays, the recommendations for how to manage their curve. But then they go back home and they're still seeing their chiropractor back home. And that's the option that they have. And that works well. And we just coordinate that together. And so my hope would be is if you are in a different area of the country, right, that however that works, you can help manage that. Um, But it would be worth getting that assessment for them because Early on, those patients can be helped by different things like a scoli roll, um, different types of traction devices, um, specific types of adjusting. So mirror image adjusting, different things like that, um, and potentially a scoli brace. So you can go to scolibrace.com. Um, they have a provider link on there that you can look down to see who's around in your area. Um, CBP offices do corrective care. So um, if you go to, I think it's idealspine.com. Um, you can look up different doctors and providers that have experience um, in that area. Um, and I know that there's other people that do like Clear Institute um, scoliosis care. And I'm pretty sure that they have a um, provider um, search option on there if you go to the Clear website. Um, so there's a lot of different information. And it's really just about 
networking and coordinating and making sure that these families don't fall through the cracks. Um, So if I had to bring it back around to like the top three things is number one, I know a lot of us take care of patients for a really long time. Make sure that you are looking at these kids' spines, very specifically, intently um, looking to see how their spines are when they're standing, when they're sitting, when they're lying down, making sure that you are doing the Adams test, making sure that you're putting them in a gown or at least looking at their low back and their hips and their pelvis so that you don't miss a lumbar curve because those are easier to miss than say thoracic curves. I see it all of the time. If I've got people that come in and they're like, oh, I've been seeing a chiropractor for three years and it's been missed, it's typically a lumbar curve that's been missed because those are harder to identify because you don't see that area when they walk in, right? Um, So make sure that you're looking between the ages of 10 and 14, huge. Um, If there's a history of scoliosis in their family before that, so even seven, eight, nine years old, make sure that you're looking because you can see those indicators early if you know what you're looking for. So on leveling of the shoulders, if you've got a shift in the scapula, um, standing and sitting, if you start to see a curve in the spine, um, you start to see a shift and a change in their pelvis. You know, if you see one pant leg that they're wearing off the bottom of one of their pant legs, but not the other. Um, if they're standing up and their shirt and their bra strap is falling off one shoulder, but not the other. If they start to get that tip in their head where their occiput and their ears are shifted, you'll start to see those changes first as their body and their posture starts to change when their curve starts to change. So make sure you're paying attention to that because I know, at least for me, looking back at some of that, unless it was blatantly obvious, I missed a couple where I was like, shoot, I really should have had my hand on that a little bit earlier. Um, The second thing is, is to make sure that we're doing x-rays. If you find any indication of a curve, please get an x-ray early um, because that's important. It's important to have it, to document it, to make sure that we have it as a baseline, um, as a comparison. And my hope would be is that you do an x-ray and the curve would be minimal or even non-existent. And as you continue to do your follow-up x-rays, it continues to look good. But if you do see changes, those x-rays are really powerful in figuring out what we need to do for their care. Um, And then the third thing is, is not to be afraid to reach out to other providers because Oftentimes what I have seen is perhaps that patient goes to an office that does um, CBP, um, clear or scoli brace, or sometimes a combination of those things. Um, That patient might go and do like a one or two week intensive, get fitted for a scoli brace, and then they come back and they still need that consistent care over time. So just because you send somebody to a clinic that specializes in this type of work that does things that maybe you don't have the training in doesn't mean necessarily that those patients won't ever come back to you. Um, and I know that sometimes, and I speak, you know, for myself back early in practice, right? Kind of getting hung up on the fact of like, oh, well, those are my, you know, those are my patients and I don't want to send my patients. And what if somebody steals my patient? And I remember that my first couple of years of practice that for some reason that was a thing. Um, And as I've done this work, it's really just about getting these patients the care that they need when they need it. And sometimes that care might be us for a period of time. And sometimes that care might be somebody else. And really being able to acknowledge that, hey, you know what? We need to figure this out. 
let's have you go see this person because they do this all of the time and they do it really well. And then sometimes those patients might come back to you and sometimes they might not. And in reality, if they've got those things going on, that's probably okay too, because being able to be that person for them and coordinate the care for them um, is really powerful and helps build trust with the families that you work with because they know that regardless of the situation, you're going to do what's best for them. Um, so just trying trying to be able to get outside of your box early and often. Um, the last thing you know that you would want to do is to try to hang on to a patient to see if you can help them and then find out that six to 12 months down the road, it's actually gotten worse and worse to a point where now their options are limited because we didn't connect them with the right people early enough. Um, And I don't think that any of us are intentioned in that way, but sometimes we just get so busy in our practices that we don't really think about it in that way. Um, And I've seen it often enough that I just wanted to be able to give you that piece of information to make you think about it um, and to just give you some other resources to look at, because I do think that there are better ways that we can help these patients in our own practices, because this is what we do. We see patients all the time. We work with them. We work with their spine. We work with their nervous system. um, And oftentimes the medical world doesn't do exactly what these families would like or need or what might work best for them. And so if we can be that connection for them between, you know, our office and other offices that might be able to have options or opportunities for them that they can't find in, say, their medical doctor's office, um, that's really powerful. And so it's really important for me, and I'm really passionate about being able to connect people because I've seen firsthand just the difference it makes in people's lives. So if you are a chiropractor, if you're a provider listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, so I have some of these people and I need to try to connect this, but I don't know who to talk to and I feel weird about it and this is uncomfortable and I don't know how to do this, um, just reach out to me, shoot me a message. I can't tell you how many people um, connect with me over Facebook or even old colleagues from school that shoot me a text and I'm just able to be like, hey, yep, here are the top three things. I would do this, 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 connect with these three people. And they're able to get these families there in a way. And then you don't have to feel weird about it. Um, So if you are looking for more information, if you have questions, um, if something I said on here spurs a question um, or if there's something I didn't cover, you know, shoot a message to us. Um, You can go to our Uh, website. It's behindthebrace.com. We've got our Facebook page. You can reach out to me, um, whatever is most convenient. Um, I really hope this is helpful and I hope this has an impact in your practice and how you manage your patients. Um, And we're happy to help in any way we can. Have a great week. Thanks for spending time with me today. If you could leave a review before you go, That would help us reach more people that need this message. To learn more about the services and resources that we have available, visit us at BehindTheBrace.com. This show is produced by Rayma Team Media. To learn more about how they can help you with your podcast, visit RaymaTeam.com.